and welcome back to another episode of the Uncharted Media Podcast. This is episode 126, so we've got to be yin and yang here. We got we talked about the negatives last week. This week we're going to talk about the positives when it comes to movie marketing campaigns. Um, this is an interesting one. I don't actually have as many for the positives as I did for the negatives, um, but rest assured there's plenty of good marketing. Um, I think it's funny, though, that we talked last week about Amazing Spider-Man 2 debuting 20 minutes of trailers, and then right before we're recording this, Mortal Kombat dropped the first seven minutes of its movie. I'm going, guys, you open in three days. Just stop. It's time to stop. But, uh, Josh, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, man. We're chilling like a villain. It's been an interesting couple weeks, but, yeah, we're chilling. We're having a great time. Uh, You watching anything interesting? (laughs) Uh, no. It's same story as last week. <laughs> I've been so busy. I just, I've just i been playing more video games than I have in anything else. Um, Legends of Runeterra. And, oh, I started the Borderlands, uh, Borderlands uh, pre-sequel. Because I'm going to play Borderlands 3 here soon. So pre- pre-sequel takes, it's like a DLC. Kind oh, okay. Of te- technically, if your DLC is, is 20 hours worth of gameplay. Um... Uh, Miles Morales. Yeah. Um, so, but like it takes place in between one and two and kind of explains some some character arcs and it's really weird. But it's Borderlands, so. <laughs> I've, I've been more busy than I thought in terms of what I've been ingesting. Um, I read today's Nightwing The Drop, which was awesome. It's a good continuation. I'm very, very excited to see where Tom Taylor and the creative team take it. Uh, Heather and I watched Happy Halloween Scooby-Doo, which is probably one of the worst Scooby-Doo movies I've ever seen. And I saw Scoob. Uh, This movie has Jonathan Crane Scarecrow, like The Scarecrow, with Elvira and Bill Nye. And most of the movie takes place in a car chase scene. It's just the weirdest movie. Like, it's so, so bizarre. Um, I finally got around to watching Paranormal Activity. The concept is there. It is a Mm -hmm. good concept. How anyone is scared of this movie, though, is beyond me. Because in a horror movie, I get the um, don't show your monster type of thing. But you've got to at least show reason why we should be afraid. And empty shots of a house is not scary unless you do something with it like they get close a couple times like oh there's a shadow walking by the bed i was like oh that's really really good it was so boring um uh we'll hype we'll talk about this movie later actually because i do think it has Mm -hmm. one of the best marketing campaigns of all time of what they did with it but as a movie it wasn't particularly interesting um lately i've been a defender of found footage movies just because if you do them right they can be scary i really you and i both really like Shyamalan's the visit i think that's mm-hmm. incredibly well done i still rave about all three of the hell house trilogy movies especially the first one though this just was not it for me um it felt they did a good job of making it feel natural at no point did i feel like this is a found footage movie this felt like a couple going through some stuff they just forgot to make it scary, I think. Um, 
Josh, I forget. Did you see the first one? Many, 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 many years ago. <laughs> um, I think oh. watching it now definitely does not help it because so much has been done since. Mm. I think, you know what I mean? I think yeah, maybe yeah. if if you watched it when it came out, it would be maybe a little scary. But see, even then when I watched it like originally, it was like, okay. I also, like you said, like I, I want something to happen. Uh, yeah, I also watched another one that everyone was like, you got to see at some point. And it's been on my list. I finally like compiled a, like an actual to watch list. Uh, I finally watched Office Space. Um, supposedly one of the greatest work comedies of all time. Um, it does a really, really good job of emulating that stuck in a crappy work environment feel. Mm -hmm. Like, it feels like an office job. I've had some bad jobs and I'm just like, oh, yep. I've, I've definitely felt a lot of the things that's going on in this movie. That being said... One of the best comedies of all time. That's that's kind of pushing it there. Um, I think I may have laughed once. Like it's not a bad movie, but this movie often gets hyped as like one of the best comedies of all time, and I'm just like, yeah, it does a pretty good job of showing '90s office culture, but it's not particularly funny. Give me any Mel Brooks movie any day, and I'll laugh a lot more. Maybe it's maybe I know comedy is subjective, so maybe it's that, but. Office Space just didn't do it for me. Have you seen yeah. Office Space or No, I haven't. What's crazy is I used to have an Office Space shirt. I, Hipster? No, never never I've never seen it. Nothing. I just it was one of those like it looked like a funny shirt and it was free and it just had like I think you have my stapler on it and that was it. You hit um, the stapler? That's that's yeah, so that that's my experience. That's yeah, my it experience was with it. it was fine, but more importantly Let's get into some very fun and action-packed news this week. Because we've got a lot of news to cover, which makes me happy. But uh, kicking us off with our news is probably the most surprising news this week. Just because I had heard no rumblings whatsoever that we were getting any form of promotional material for the upcoming Shang-Chi movie. Which, it's actually pronounced Shang-Chi and not Shang-Chi. Shang-Chi just makes me sound really, really white when I say this. Um, but So what happened was we got the poster for Shang-Chi, and then like an hour or two later, we got the actual official trailer for it. And I'll be honest, this trailer is one of the coolest trailers I've seen in a while. I don't know if I like it more than like the original Godzilla vs. Kong trailer when they're fighting on the aircraft carrier. That, that got me hyped pretty quickly. But this one... I think it's just interesting that they went from no marketing for Shang-Chi to <laughs> here is all the marketing you need. Um, it aesthetically looks very different for a Marvel movie. Uh, I think I texted you. This felt more like a traditional Asian martial arts movie than an American-made movie, which is awesome. I agree. Um, just the way Asian cinema shoots their movies, how the color is used is different and i really liked that i never thought i'd pop so hard for a split kick but oh my gosh <laughs> that scene on the bus was like what captain marvel wishes it was mm -hmm. um but i showed heather and she's like yeah that looks really really cool too and we both are just like yeah josh is probably living in his own paradise right now because <laughs> this, this movie is kevin feige going 
So Josh is kind of ho-hum about some of our movies so far. Well, we're going to make one just for him. <laughs> um, we, we'll get more into it. But Josh, what do you think of the Shang-Chi trailer? It's cool. It's super cool. Like, I mean, like you said, it, it, it's shot like a traditional martial arts movie it, with like a Marvel scheme to it. Um, it's, bro, it's it's just cool. good to see some actual good fighting in a superhero movie. In camera like, fighting. I, yeah, like, I never thought that it'd be something I was missing. And then, you know, because, like, we have some pretty good, pretty decent choreography throughout all of the Marvel films. But, like, like you said, that split kick, I was like, oh, we going, oh, we're going there. Oh, we're going there. Okay, cool, cool, cool. And then, like, the big fights and just, like, oh. I'm just, I'm excited. I'm really excited about it. Like you said, aesthetically, it's, it's very different. The interesting thing about this though is I have seen and this is mostly just like some of my personal circle some people would be like yeah but it just looks like a martial arts movie with a Marvel skin on it and I was like so? yeah that's what do you mean that's the point I'm confused so it's like but like some people like basically saying like it's nothing new it's fine whatever um, which I th- I'm kind of hoping plays to the to this movie's strength because if the movie is as solid as anything what's in the trailer I think like oh, bro the so, 10 rings we bring the 10 rings we actually doing the mandarin now and doing it right this time yeah absolutely so here's the thing I don't know anything about this movie just because it's obviously under embargo but what I can say is I know someone very close to me that actually has already seen this movie. Oh. But that individual is under embargo, so they will not yeah. divulge anything to me. Uh, but they have actually seen this movie. I don't know if it's good or bad, but I think this is the first time that we've ever talked about something that I know someone that has seen it this far out. That's it's kind of cool. Um, but you and I texted after this um, that I think this movie is going to be really cool, but also opens the door for something that believe it or not has actually been on my wish list for a very long time mm-hmm. which is iron fist and some of you will go well we had an iron fist netflix show no we didn't that doesn't count one because it was bad and two kevin feige's openly admitted that netflix isn't canon to the mcu they butchered iron fist uh it was one of my dad's favorite characters in the comics growing up and so i kind of latched onto that there's a lot of crossover between spider-man and iron fist there was that one game it was like spider-man like friend or foe or something where you can like Mm -hmm. co-op i played as iron fist a lot in that game so i really like iron fist you and i have talked about think this will be shang chi but what if the next one is shang chi and the iron fist just like the first ant-man was ant-man and then the next one was ant-man and the wasp shang chi and then Shang-Chi and the Iron Fist is your next one. And then someone suggested that the end credits for this or the end credits for the next movie should be like Rocky 3, where it's just the two of them about to fight each other to see who's the best. And then it yes. just cuts to black. I'm like... <sighs> it's either that or like the um, like the end, the, the, the end credits be like him having a conversation with like, I guess like his mentor or something like that. Like... Um, trying to like talk about advanced techniques and stuff like that. And he was like, well, I, I do know there's this one guy that went in to go live in a, in a cave and 
you know, has gotten powers beyond imagination, blah, blah, blah. And it was like, I just like, not even like exclusively say anything, but like give a heavy nod to it, to, to Iron Fist. Or like do what Godzilla versus Kong is, of just have the symbol of Iron Fist on a wall somewhere. And we say the legend of the fist or something like that. Now <laughs> this opens the door. How weird are we getting? Like, are we going to introduce Fing Fang Foom into this? Because if we do, I'm going to have fun with that because that's one of the best comic book names ever. Um, Yeah. (laughs) I'm also going to say I really like the costume because it feels unique but also still familiar to Marvel. It Mm kind of looks like a hybrid of what Doctor Strange wears and and mixed with uh, the Dorma Milaje. um, Mm -hmm. Like that material mixed with the colors feels like a perfect amalgamation of the two however i don't think this is his final form like i think this is probably his first superhero suit suit so to speak and then he'll probably get something closer but then again maybe it's just because i don't know the character super well but i don't think of immediately like okay this is what shang chi's outfit looks like iron fist like i know the green and the yellow what he's supposed to look like at least Mm. um so i don't know I think the biggest thing coming out of the trailer was the aesthetics of whoever trained him. The guy on the picture here looks mm-hmm. so cool. Like, it really does. I need a action figure of that or a pop figure or whoever. And clearly, whoever's under the mask is of some significance. Because um, mm-hmm. they end up fighting later in the trailer. Which looks awesome. It kind of reminded me of the Skyfall fight, of like how, mm-hmm. how it was backlit and everything else. It looks so well done. Now... Will his men? Will Shang Chi's father actually be Fu Manchu like it is in the comics, or will they just call him the Mandarin? Um, I don't. Or I think I read somewhere that it might be a new character. Again, I'm not super familiar with the character of Shang Chi, but I know he does have some connection to Fu Manchu. Then again, that's a bit of an outdated character, so I don't know. But this basically just went made my expectations and hopes for this movie go from basically not a lot because the production was relatively quiet to dude dude i need to see this oh dude absolutely Uh, the only reason that i'm hesitant to not say his dad is is not the mandarin is that shot you know what shot him sitting in a stone throne with the 10 rings on the wall behind him i was Oh, so cool. I can't. I'm so down. Like, let's go. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's going to be a good time. Absolutely. Now, like the hype train just keeps rolling and rolling and rolling for the next Spider-Man. But now we've got some more interesting information because Tom Holland has graduated from not spoiling anything. But um, it seems Alfred Molina is a little out of practice, so to speak. Uh, the yeah. former Doc Ock and soon-to-be Doc Ock again had some rather interesting statements to make in regard to his role in the upcoming Spider-Man No Way Home. Uh, there's a lot to break down, so this is going to be a longer segment. But basically, Alfred Molina, uh, one, confirmed that he was back. It seemed unlikely because Deadline and Hollywood Reporter and all those major outlets were saying that he was back. But now, straight from the horse's mouth, Alfred Molina will be back as Doc Ock. In Spider-Man No Way Home. But it doesn't stop there. He said that they'll be using de-aging technology like they did with 
uh, Robert Downey Jr. for Civil War and Michael Douglas. Yeah. Right. I always get Michael and Kurt mixed up. Um, like they were doing with Ant Man, and they're going to digitally de-age him to look like he was in 2004 Spider Man Two, and that they'll pick up at least when they were going with the script. They said they're gonna bring him back right as he was falling to his death. So there's a lot of weird implications there. Um, and we'll talk about the Happy Hogan thing later because you and I had a breakthrough yeah. that I don't think our audience is ready for. Cause I don't I, think we're ready for it. Because I told Heather, me? and as soon as the words left my mouth, she just goes, no, we cannot have that. <laughs> like she was, she was more upset than you. Uh, but well, for right now, we'll stick with the Doc Ock thing. Doc Ock picking up immediately when he dies in Spider-Man 2 sounds like a really odd choice. Um, Josh, what do you think about what Alfred Molina has said? Just all of what he's been saying. I, I need this movie to come out so that we can stop, like, playing around with ideas and stuff. Just because nothing that has come out, like, the more and more information that comes the less and less excited I am. It feels like there's a lot of red herrings for this. Yeah, because to me, if that's what you're saying, in my mind, if this is a Spider-Verse movie, I don't think he's dying. I think he gets teleported into another dimension for some stupid reason. Maybe, okay, in which case... There's a way to do that, not hard, of the sun thing from Spider-Man 2. Maybe falling into that is a portal to another dimension. Mm-hmm. Not That wouldn't be too difficult to pull off, I don't think. But no, here, I don't think so either. Here's where it gets super weird and confusing to me. Uh, this is Alfred Molina saying that he'll be playing the exact same Doc Ock that he did in Spider-Man 2. But on the flip side, when Jamie Foxx, when it was announced that Jamie Foxx would be in this movie... He immediately took to Instagram saying, I'm back, and I won't be blue this time before Disney got a hold of him and he quickly deleted that post. Well, if he's not blue this time, that kind of implies that he's playing a different version of Electro. Yeah. So, who gets to stay their universe selves and who becomes an alternate universe? Like, I feel like with this Spider-Man movie, there's a lot of purpose misinformation going around just to keep secrets basically which could be both good or bad now also i didn't want to make this a full new topic because i questioned the validity of the sources but it would be interesting to note that supposedly this is the first spider-man movie that won't have avi arad as producer which would be a big deal because he's been producing ever since the original spider-man trilogy and fans a lot of the complaints that you've had about Spider-Man dating back to the Tobey Maguire era, Aviarod has had some form of a hand in. Um, you didn't like Venom in Spider-Man 3? Blame a rod on that. You didn't like um, how many villains were in Amazing Spider-Man 2? Blame a rod on that. Um, you don't like how much they rely on Tony Stark for Spider-Man now? 
blame Avi Arad on that. Again, I don't know if I believe that or not because it was just a thread on Twitter from an undisclosed source that I don't know if I trust that or not. But it would make a lot of sense because so far the MCU has been incredibly loyal and faithful to their characters like Iron Man, Captain America, and Spider-Man. It just has felt a little off. I still enjoy the movies, Homecoming significantly more than Far From Home, but it does feel like the movies at times are trying to always serve two masters. And I've thought ever since they announced John Watts is directing Fantastic Four that maybe he was doing the best that he could with Spider-Man with the limitations that people above him were putting on. And so Kevin Feige mm-hmm. saw that and was like, I want to reward you with something that you can actually have creative freedom with. Yeah. Because there's been some interesting things that have come out about Homecoming of what was supposed to be in the movie versus what was cut. Again, I don't know if I believe the validity of that at times. Um, but if this is... If we are now moving past Avi Rada's producer, I think we the best days of Spider-Man are ahead if he can just yeah. stay in the MCU, if that's the case. Again, I don't know if that's true. This Doc Ock thing. Yeah. Though, I, it's... It, I just... And, like, you're right, though, because, like, we there's so much we don't know. Like, where does Tom Holland's playing Peter Parker stand? Where does is, is he staying in, in, in Marvel? Is he staying? Is he going back to Sony? Like, what's the case here? So I, th- I think, and it's not even, I think this kind of ties into our two-week discussion about movie marketing, in a way, of like, I'm not saying people won't see this movie because of all of the, the weird Tom Holland question, like, and where his he stands playing Spider-Man questions, but people are going to see see this regardless, right? But at the same time, like, it has the potential to leave a sour taste in people's mouths. Yeah, for sure. So, again, I, I don't know where I stand with this Doc Ock thing. I'm... I'm hesitant, but I'm still excited because Alfred Molina is a phenomenal actor. Doc Ock is not just one of my favorite Spider-Man villains. He's one of my favorite villains, period. I've loved Doc Ock ever since I was reading the comics, seeing Spider-Man 2. Um, But I am a little curious about this. Now, the other big thing that I think a lot of people are skipping over just because either they assumed it or they're so distracted by the Doc Ock thing that this is not being reported as much. But uh, it seems John Favreau will be returning for Spider-Man No Way Home as Happy Hogan again, which, yay, he's everyone's favorite. Now it's time to get sad because my brain can never turn off and let me enjoy, mm-hmm. and my brain just will never let me enjoy things, and it's a it's a curse. Um, yeah. But follow this dangerous train of thought that I have. Happy Hogan returning cool what else is john favreau involved with star wars and there's been heavy speculation for quite a few years that he may be replacing kathleen kennedy as the next head of um lucasfilm which would be a great idea especially him and dave filoni working together why do i bring that up well tom holland has gone on record he hasn't said who but he has said because he likes to talk and never shut his mouth he has said that he had to rehearse um, really sad and intense scenes and had to learn to be able to cry on camera, to which I'm yeah. going, that sounds a lot like a character death. And now before you scream into the void, because you're following my train of thought, 
I wouldn't be surprised if Happy Hogan dies in this Spider-Man. But the more I think about it, the more it logically makes sense. And here's why. One, Happy Hogan, as a character, has been in the MCU since day one. He's, if I remember correctly, he's in like the second scene of Iron Man. He's almost there. He's been in the MCU almost as long as Robert Downey Jr., only missing out by like a scene or two. I think Happy's one of the most criminally underrated characters in all the MCU. Everyone loves him because he's so great. He even made his scenes in Iron Man 3 fantastic, and I don't even like Iron Man 3. Um, He's been there forever. People have this bond with him. Peter has this bond with him via Tony Stark. You lose Tony. If you lose Happy, you've really lost all your connections to Stark. Mm -hmm. Now, especially with him being... Um, um, romantically involved with Aunt May. (laughs) I was thinking about the right word for romantically involved with Aunt May. A lot of people made fun of it at first. You're just like, this is kind of weird, but it kind of made sense, and they evolved it in Far From Home. What if I'm not saying we will never get an Uncle Ben, but what if they're gonna do a different type of Uncle Ben, a different (laughs) uncle that pays the price? And since you were the one that suggested it, I'll let you be the one that says it. What do we think Uncle Hogan's legacy would be? Uh, yeah, because it only makes sense. I mean, if you tie it in for Far From Home when he's like, he looks like a proud, like a proud papa when um, Peter, like, is I back there Metallica. Yeah, like, oh, bro, he just looks like a proud papa when he makes his own suit. Like, I mean, I have my own issues with that whole scene. But but regardless, like, Happy is the Uncle Ben for for him here. And I think with him dying and the words, and just because, again, we're talking about the guy that, you know, watched Stark go from super big corporate douchebag to... Like, one of the bi- biggest, the guy that sacrificed himself for, uh-oh, I said something that triggered something. Yes, you did. For Nathan. You, well, said, you, know, buddy. you said, because he has watched Tony Stark, if Tony Stark had all this great power, he has exactly. seen, he has seen firsthand what you need to do with great power, and if you are not responsible Mm -hmm. with that power i have wanted for a while uncle ben to be in the mcu because uncle ben is the reason why he's spider-man but maybe marvel's thinking of it of we've got enough uncle ben deaths we don't need a martha situation here yeah but mm, if exactly no so that's the point right because happy's been there he knows how important it is to use your power responsibly and like for the line with great power comes great responsibility coming from him. And I think anytime you have uncle Ben in the movie, you're given, he's given to us, like you got to build him up as this great guy. And you, you have to to us. Yeah. Us audience members have to fall in love with him knowing he's about to die in 15 minutes or whatever. So, I mean, it's, it, that's difficult. But then if you have a character that's been around since the beginning of the MCU, seeing Tony, make his have his shortcomings and not use his power responsibly all the time and you know a lot of the issues that the avengers face uh are his fault but whatever um 
but maybe they play into that. Like, look, kid, like you you are entirely capable of being the quote unquote next Tony Stark, but like in a way that Tony could never be. So with great power comes great responsibility. It has to come through from him on like as he dies, as he passes away. But like, just I, when we were texting about, it, I didn't even think of the ramifications of. Happy mm-hmm. has seen Tony firsthand with this great power and this great brain that he has use it irresponsibly. Mm-hmm. So, oh, dude, I I don't want Happy to die. Happy's the best. But if you make it mean something, it mm-hmm. could be one of the most impactful deaths. And that could be what Tom Holland is practicing for with these really emotional scenes. I think a lot of people had it pegged of maybe Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man would die. I think for the sake of the MCU, I think Happy might be a prime target, especially with him taking on more non-acting responsibilities. It's a character that's been there forever. He's emotionally attached to both Peter and Aunt May. Again, this is just us spitballing. And we were hoping for stuff in Amazing Spider-Man 2 with the webbing. This probably won't come to pass. But I'm not willing to rule this out yet. Yeah, this is, it's it's too, to me, like, that's a character-defining moment. Whereas, like, the, the webbing thing in Amazing Spider-Man 2, which, if for y'all that don't know, Nathan and I have said that um, Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man should have proposed using his webbing uh, on the bridge, and then when she dies, the webbing dis- disappears, because it only, like... Last. Symbolism. Yeah. Anyway, but that, that, in the that that's more like to make that emotionally hit harder. This is like a character defining moment for Tom. Like this almost in some ways, some way, shape or form has to happen. You know what I mean? Like it's, we haven't had that moment yet. And in a lot of ways, it's kind of put a, a little bit of like a like a like a boot, you know, like those um those boots you they put on cars. That yeah. Have been, yeah. It's almost like holding him back that we haven't had this moment yet, and it's only because like he had that moment of like holding everything up and was like, I have to, you know, like I'm just a kid at the end of the day, but I'm Spider Man. I have all this stuff. Like it's like it would come full circle and maybe a, finally give him the opportunity to be the spider-man that we know so we just talked about this Mm -hmm. um last week nonetheless uh indiana jones 5 it's moving forward it started casting but now the now the casting is getting extra spicy and i'm all about that spice because indiana jones last week cast phoebe waller bridge as the co-lead alongside harrison ford now we have our main villain with mm-hmm. Mads Mikkelsen, and oh yes, yes, just put this straight into my soul, because Mads Mikkelsen, if you're looking at his resume, I think he, when he's all said and done, he wants to collect the seven uh, Dragon Balls of franchises <laughs> to be in, because he has been in James Bond, Marvel, Star Wars, Harry Potter, now Indiana Jones. I'm like, dude. Come, Silence of the Lambs, technically, when he was on Hannibal, which is probably what he's most known for nowadays. This dude is such a talented actor. He's 
usually typecast as a villain of some kind, but he can be good as he was as Galen or so in Rogue One. As soon as I saw this, I was just like, yep, 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 yep. yep. Please. Don't, don't even. Absolutely. It kind of pokes a hole in my like Nazi hope because I, I don't see him playing a Nazi-ish character. But then again, if Indy's in his 70s, we're probably what, 1950s, 60s? I'm trying to remember mm-hmm. where Game of the Crystal sounds- Skull took place. Was that the 50s yeah, or 60s? We're, we're even that past that. Right. Yeah, that sounds about right. I don't know. I'd have to look it up. I don't know Indiana Jones enough well enough, but yeah. But you see the casting. Let's go, bro. Like that's absolutely like I love this guy. Let's uh, like why not? What could go wrong? Okay, uh, I don't want to say that actually because Cave of the Crystal Skull is a thing. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, absolutely, yeah. That's a, he's a solid choice for a villain. Um, we don't know what the story is at all, so you can't really like Excalibur, Excalibur, Excalibur. Excalibur. Also, uh, one of our friends in the comment section, last week we said, I wanted Pandora's box. Someone let us know that that we weren't just talking out of our butts. That has happened. It was okay. uh, the second Laura Croft movie, uh, Cradle of Life. That, okay. I was like, ah, oh, thank you, good sir. Okay, yeah, because it was one of those, like, I could have, sw- I knew it was something. I just couldn't remember. Ugh, anyway, yeah. Um, I'm trying to... But yeah, it's just Excalibur would be cool. Um, Atlantis. That Atlantis would be fun. I could see Mads Mikkelsen being a Volko if we didn't get Willem Dafoe. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Make it a weird... T- hey, we've already had aliens. Why not make uh, Mads a, a weird twist to be the last Atlantean and he's the preventing Indiana Jones from discovering the lost city? Let's not no. go... We're not the Mummy franchise. Let's not get too crazy. <laughs> but I think this is great. And James Mangold is a fantastic director who almost always gets the best performances out of his actors. This just seems like a wonderful pairing, and I am all about it. Like, come on now. Now, um, so I know Amazon has a lot of money, but... Apparently, they're thinking about, like, just being able to feed all of Australia for the next couple years with their filming in um, either Australia or New Zealand. I think it's Australia for for their Lord of the Rings series. Well, um, I bring that up because um, they're spending quite a bit of money to film there and not just film there. But the budget for this Lord of the Rings series yeah. is said to be for the first season alone. This isn't like the first five seasons or whatever. The first season alone of Amazon's Lord of the Rings series is scheduled to be over $450 million in its budget. Which I'm just going, are you nuts? Like, I know you have a lot of money, Amazon, and you want to get in the streaming game and prove you're a big boy just like everybody else. That's why you have Invincible, have, um, I was about to say The Lost Boys, but it's not that, um, The Boys. Um, (laughs) And I know you have a lot riding on this, but 450, half a billion dollars for one season, a season of TV. Uh, that doesn't even include like get that doesn't include 
them getting the rights from um, the Tolkien estate, which I'm sure also costs them quite a pretty penny. Uh, sure, this better be the best freaking show that's ever showed because half, almost half a billion dollars. Are you nuts? <laughs> yeah, um, is it? Have we confirmed on like the content? Like, is are they really just doing like the, you know, Fellowship, Two Towers, and, no. and uh, Return, or are it's they like, doing the, it's the either Sima, the similar similarly similarly? It's either similar. um hundreds or thousands of years before Hobbit. Okay, it's like so, the yeah, first so it's age. This... Okay. I don't think it's the Cimmerillion, but it's set in Middle Earth, obviously. It's yeah. very but, much prequel. See, like, that's... To me, that's warranted, because I don't know how much they spent to make the, the Lord of the Rings movies, but a lot has changed since then, and honestly, you're introducing a bunch of new characters, and the siege is going to be very CGI-heavy. As long as it's not as bouncy and weird as the Hobbit films, I think... Uh, to me, this is warranted, because that's like... That to me, I see, I see, you know, four hundred fifty million. That to me, that says CGI budget is huge. Not necessarily just and like locations budget and miniatures and you know what I mean. That's the thing is I don't think CGI. I want to see that. I think of scale. Like, do yeah. we need to build an actual Rivendell again, um, or wherever else? Um, like, how big are our props and everything else? Like they had. A full-size Rivendell for interior shots and everything else, but then they also had the miniatures that you brought up. I would like them to see miniatures come back. I like physical props. I'm still kind of worried about this show. Like, I know they've got a lot of big creative names in this, but one, not really having any actors that we recognize the names could either be really good or really bad because we're not going to associate them with something else. Like, Mads Mikkelsen, as much as I like him, I just see Mads Mikkelsen as opposed to, I don't know, a character that really just blends in. Uh, but you do kind of need at least one or two names to draw people in. Lord of the Rings is a big enough name by itself. However, there's been some articles and some interviews in the past, just in the early stages of creative development, that have raised some red flags, for me personally at least, of... Sounding more like they're interested in doing a Game of Thrones-esque show set in the Lord of the Rings world as opposed to doing a Lord of, an actual Lord of the Rings type show. Uh, wh- you're like, well, what's the difference? They're both fantasy series. Mm. One is definitely much more explicit in their content. Game of Thrones is targeted for an adult audience. Lord of the Rings never was it was a kid's book first with the hobbit and then a teenage audience for lord of the rings but kids could still read lord of the rings there's also it wasn't a huge thing like it was with the narnia books but there is still quite a bit of religious undertones in all lord of the rings because tolkien was a religious person as was lewis they were drinking buddies I don't think Prime will dive into that, and that's yeah. such a key aspect of Lord of the Rings, and that's not a thing present in Game of Thrones. Again, they're very, very different. Game of Thrones is good for what it is, for six seasons at least. Lord of the Rings is great for what it is, but they are not the same, and I do 
worry, and I've worried this for a while, that Amazon is just looking at this going, all right, this is a big recognizable IP that we can fit into the mold that is Game of Thrones, as opposed to basically having free reign of creative control while still honoring the legacy of Tolkien. Am I being too pessimistic or you kind no. of have the same concerns, Josh? I, I'm, I'm, I'm the same concern, especially like if they're just saying this is the, you know, in the first age of Lord of the Rings, of Middle Earth, like they're not like explicitly referencing any of the books. It's kind of like, how do you write a story without any of the intent of the original author? Like that doesn't make sense to me. Um, real quick, for comparison, Return of the King's budget in total was $94 million. Mm. How much was it uh, after inflation, though? No, uh, I don't know. But, but I mean, it's... Hold on, uh, uh, I'd probably say that's maybe 130 150 now. But that's still... That's yeah, that's still, still not... That's still a fraction of what the what Amazon's dumping into this. Now, granted, so, a season of TV is a longer stretch of time. Like Falcon Winter Soldier, even though it's six episodes, that's six hours. That's almost uh, three times the length of your average movie length. So time is definitely a factor. But that's the thing is with TV shows, why do you think shows like Arrow or Smallville or any other show uses the same set over and over again? It's so that they can save money, but also just reusing those sets to keep a centralized story in one location as opposed to bouncing all over the place like National Treasure 2 did. Um, But I don't know. I get that they want to – they really want this to be the anchor. They want this to be their Mandalorian, which I get. Mm -hmm. But you – I guess it's still difficult though because – Amazon is in a different position than Disney or Netflix or HBO Max of they don't have money issues. They rule the world, basically. If honestly, if Amazon really, really wanted to and there wasn't any like federal regulations or anything, they probably actually could buy up one of the other main streaming services. Not saying Mm -hmm. they could buy all of them, but. If Amazon wanted to, they could probably buy HBO Max or buy Disney Plus. That's how much power they have. So they can flex this muscle. I'm not saying they should, though, is the thing. Um, Quantity and quality would be preferred as opposed to how much money you're spending on this. This is ridiculous. Yeah, I I think the hard thing, too, is... The original Peter Jackson Lord of the Rings is so well done and it's so highly revered. It's perfect. Hard. Yeah, it's it's hard to top that. Yeah, we shall see. Now, one thing that I wasn't excited for, getting excited for, very, very much so, but I'm still a little hesitant because of, you know, stuff that happened with the main person. Um... But that is The Flash, which is now filming. They started filming on Monday. Hallelujah. That means we have not one, but two DC movies filming right now with at least like two others in post-production with The Suicide Squad and The Batman. Shazam's going to be filming soon-ish. It's just just, just good that we're getting stuff in production again. Now, with the announcement that they're filming, They also released the logo for the movie, and there's actually 
quite a bit to glean from this information wise not just hey look it looks cool so it's warranted talking about it here um people will just be like well they just revealed the logo and called that said it's the flash which i know some people are just like what's with dc naming everything just with a the the batman the flash the suicide squad but i'm going flash as almost at least when i read comics He's not called Flash. He's called no. The Flash. So, like, yes. the the here makes sense. Um, yeah. But looking at this logo, I think it's awesome. But also mm-hmm. gives us just enough of a hint of what to expect. And also, I'll be honest, kind of makes me think we're going to get something that I didn't think we'd be getting this soon. But I'll dive into that in just a second. Um, Josh... You see that the Flash is going into production, and you see the logo. Thoughts? Yeah. Like, let's go. Finally. Like, I think you and I are the same uh, thought process. Like, like, just, just, just come on. Stop. Stop with the, all the speculation and and give us, you know, give us something. Give us something to to, to bite into. <laughs> um, or choke into. Yeah. Nope. Or choke into. Nope. That's just the main actor. <laughs> Anyway, uh, but I like the logo. I mean, it's it's got a, an interesting amount of yellow for someone who, when he runs, has blue blue streaks. That's interesting. Hmm. Hmm. You don't know how excited <laughs> I got with how much yellow is in this because I genuinely still, to this day, do not get Zack Snyder's decision to make his streaks blue instead. I'm like... You're just making it different just to be different because in speed terminology with the speed force, blue is like the fastest. That means he can't get any faster than this. So like starting a very new flash off with blue is basically like saying, well, he can't get any faster than this. He can't get any better than this. But also when I think of flash running, I don't think blue trails. I think yellow trails. So seeing the yellow lightning bolts i'm just like oh thank god like this is a close-up of the flash suit that we've seen in concept art that we've got here that they released at fandom last year i don't know if we're doing a fandom this year if we do i actually kind of expect some reveals this year um i'm i'm digging the suit i think i'll like it a lot more than the snyder suit which is still i've gone on record saying i think the flash suit in justice league is single-handedly one of the worst comic book costumes i've ever seen. not not comic book costumes it's one of my least favorite comic book costumes i've ever seen i hate it so much i think it goes against everything that works for the flash in terms of i think snyder loves injustice which is cool but he went too hard in the injustice armor type because even in the injustice games he's got like shoulder and elbow pads not full body armor yeah um, but tell me the the actual lettering of this movie doesn't look oddly familiar to a uh, flashpoint text. It looks ex- like the exact same font with like the yellow trim. The lettering looks almost identical to flashpoint, which is the story that this is supposedly heavily based on. Now, here's where your boy is going to read way too much into this. <laughs> um, we know that the suit that he wears in this, the the good Flash suit this time, will be given to him by Ben Affleck's Batman. Kind of like Tony Stark giving 
Peter the spider suit. This emblem makes me think we're going to get something that I didn't think we'd ever get. And if we did, it'd be further down the road. I think his suit's going to come out of the flash ring in this movie. That middle piece and the way they had it extremely close up. Like the fact that they started from the side and then rotated to the front. Looked a little like a close-up of a ring, of a flash ring. I think his suit's going to come out of the flash ring at at least, if not the beginning when he gets the suit. At some point, I think we're going to get the flash ring in this movie. No. No, they wouldn't. They wouldn't. Dude, we're getting Starro later this year. I guess anything's possible then, yeah. Um... I think my I guess, <laughs> my issue here is more um, if I don't want Batman to give it to him. Like the Flash is a smart guy. I mean, say what you want about that or that Snyder suit, he still built it himself. So I mean, I I don't know. I go back and forth on it. I, I just he's he's a smart guy, and if he's if we've already established like he built literally almost a spacesuit that can withstand, you know, going light speed, which is an accomplishment to say the least. I don't see why him being able to fit a suit in, you know, like a in, in a ring is that outside of the I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Also, I just like his more aerodynamic suit anyway. It's just more of what I know. Yeah. My question is, in, at least in the concept art for this and the one where he's standing next to Michael Keaton's Batman, which it's all but confirmed that Michael Keaton is in this. He's set to be in London for filming later this week. Will it have the white eyes? I'm obsessed with the white eyes for my superhero suits, even though they never do. Um, if you want to make me even more excited than I am for Robert Pattinson's Batman, we know he's going to get his suit destroyed at some point in the movie. If his final form suit is dark blue with white eyes i will literally die of joy and then the end credits is master wayne are you going to see the performance down on the pier tonight Ooh! but getting back to flash um i think this is a step in the right direction i'm getting this i wasn't overly excited for flash just because it's been stalled for so long i feel like it was supposed to come out in 2018 or 2019 it's just been delayed so many times and i'm still not sold on ezra miller's flash i think he's he's too he's still at least to me too bumbling and awkward but maybe it's a man unsure of himself he's not a forensic scientist yet um but even then like flash that i know at least barry is not the comedic relief character Wally is definitely more of the comedic character. Barry's not, like, emotionally distant, but he's about as funny as Superman is. Of so, Like, they'll have their moments, but it's typically, like, a Green Lantern that's more funny or a Wally, uh, as opposed to weird ADHD type of thing, which Zack Snyder has openly said that he's ADHD in this movie. I'm going, cool? Okay. He also really likes hot dogs, but we won't get into that today. I, I really do think the Flash Ring is there. I think it's cool that this text bears more than a little resemblance to the Flashpoint text um, from the original comic. And the yellow lightning bolts make me so, so happy. Mm-hmm. And also, uh, it wasn't said by Andy Muschietti, at least with this when they said they were filming today. But he has gone on record saying that um, 
How do I put this gently? Ezra Miller will run differently in his movie. Like his technique won't look like an awkward ice dancer. Because, at least for me, I thought that was one of the worst things. Like, Flash is cool. Like flailing awkwardly. And Zack Snyder would be like, well, he trained with like actual um, ice skaters to learn the technique. I'm like, doesn't help when you're watching in slow motion. He looks like a moron. If you want to train with somebody, train with Tom Cruise. Um, it's, it's just the little things. Also, I know people are saying like, this could be a continuation of the Snyderverse or whatever and reset everything like Rebirth, but the Snyder stuff still happened. And Zack Snyder has said there's this whole big plan that we had of like everyone would get their solo stories and then would come back for Justice League and everything else. Then why does Aquaman not feel like it's connected to the Snyder movies? Why does this feel like it's not connected to the Snyder movies? Just let yeah. Why does Shazam feel like it's not connected to the Snyder movies? Just let directors do their own thing, which is what I think Warner Brothers wanted and why they did let go of Zack Snyder is because he wanted to basically do the Dark Knight trilogy, which is fine. But if you want to build this whole world. You can't say, these characters, these characters, and these characters are off limits because I want them for my story. And if I don't know what to do with them, Jimmy Olsen, I'll just kill them off. Like, I, yeah. I get the wanting to do standalones. And I'm very excited for this standalone now. Yeah, I mean, any time that you a studio can actually put some good creative material in the hands of a good director and be like, yeah, so tell the story and not have to be like, so this director did this and this, so you're going to have to acknowledge this. Uh, and, like, you can't tell a story outside of this window. Like, it, I think that's a good thing, to me at least. Oh, yeah. Now, our sponsor for this week, um, let's see. Who's a good one? Um, Gators Dockside for the best wings in Florida. If you got to do gators especially for all you can eat wings on monday night um that's my marketing for them but i'm not a movie marketing person nor should i be i'm not a mark we have friends that know marketing i am not a marketing person but i can recognize good marketing when i see it and a good marketing campaign can make your movie go from a zero to an absolute hero so that's what we're going to talk about today of boo. I boo you, sir. It's not my worst. I've done so much stupider. Um, last week we talked about the worst movie marketing mistakes of all time: John Carter, Treasure Planet. If I'm being honest, Zack Snyder's Justice League that was bolstered by fandom, not Snyder the studio itself. That was on their behalf. It was bad. Um, this week we're going to talk about the good ones. It's harder to talk about the good ones because. A marketing campaign, if done right, goes under the radar. You are aware of a movie's existence, and that's about it. Very rarely do you think, wow, this movie was marketed really well. But if you do, nine times out of ten, you're probably talking about a horror movie. Because, honestly, when I was making this, I had a lot of horror movies. Because horror has to do a better job of making itself stand out. As opposed to, here's a man with a mask killing teenagers. Um... But there's some truly iconic um, horror movie Nathan, campaigns. Nathan, are you saying that slasher films aren't real horror? I slasher is my favorite subgenre. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Depends on the slasher. Jason X is not well, a horror. That's, That's a wonderful comedy masterpiece. <laughs> yes. 
It's now a documentary. <laughs> I often, maybe it's just me, because I'm a messed up person. I still choose to believe that Jason X takes place in the Xenon Girl of the 21st Century universe. Yeah, why not? It, it aesthetically looks the same. It's just... I Okay, sorry. Let's not get on a tangent about Jason X, Jason X. again. <laughs> again. Um, but yeah, let's. I mean, I would agree because uh, in, in ho- 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 mm, horror movies, geez, have a in some ways more difficult task because they have to get people interested in the movie without telling you what the movie is. Say you're scared, but not showing why you're why mm-hmm. you should be scared. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, let's start with a horror movie. Let's start with the obvious one that we've got on all our pictures here: the original The Blair Witch Project. Um, this is a genius marketing campaign that could not work today at all. No, because not at there's all. a thing called the internet that would blow the whistle on this thing real quick. Uh, but what the Blair Witch did. Uh, as I'm sure all of our audience knows by now, Blair Witch is a found footage movie. One of the first really major commercially successful found footage movies is made for like $50,000 and made like $200 yeah. million. Um, but what they did for this movie was put a whole bunch of like missing posters out as promotional material. They didn't advertise it as a movie. They advertise it as a documentary. And so normally when a movie comes out, you have your actors or your director or whoever else do the press tour. The thing Bruce Willis hates more than any other actor. Um, They show up (laughs) on like, I was about to say Regis and Kelly, but like uh, Kelly and Ryan, I think is who it is now. Yeah, Regis and Kelly hasn't been around in a long time. But like they'll show up on Kimmel, they'll show up on Fallon type of stuff like that. What this movie did was they tried at least as best as they could to present this movie as a documentary. So when they say these people are missing, they didn't have the actors show up on these press junkets. They led people to believe that this movie actually happened to these actors, which mm-hmm. co- coincidentally, we don't actually see these actors like in any other movie ever again. So it, it mm. does kind of en- lend this air of authenticity to the movie. Um, it's still not my favorite horror movie. It does a great job of making me feel paranoid about being trapped in the woods, but I'm not necessarily scared of a Blair Witch figure, but make no mistake. This marketing campaign was effective. It made this movie so much more money than it would have. If it didn't, um, this movie single-handedly basically owes its success to its marketing campaign. It can't do it today because the internet is a thing and people can just go, Oh, these people are still alive and it's a film that looks kind of like a student film. But back then when we're still kind of learning what the internet is, it was almost like a creepy pasta before creepy pastas were a thing. Really? True. True. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, it, it definitely played to its strengths and, and tried to do something in a unique way. Kind of like how, and I'll, I'll kind of transition here, how Cloverfield was one of those first kind of, movies to really start to lean in hard onto social media and using that to its advantage as well. Because it kind of did try to do something a little similar, which is funny that we go from found footage film to found footage film. and um, But it kind of tried to do something similar in that it, it, it had a lot of, like, interactive stuff on, on social media. So, like, I mean, because 
I have not seen Cloverfield, but I can tell you that I saw the marketing everywhere. Oh yeah. Um, I feel like Cloverfield came out at the same time as I think it was quarantine, some other mm-hmm. found footage movie that someone in my high school math class told me was the scariest movie of all time. I finally saw it in college. I was like, you're a wimp. Oh my <laughs> God. Um, Cloverfield I've seen half of I gave up because I get motion sickness with Cloverfield fair, I don't normally get fair. like motion sickness with movies but good god it's worse than a born identity action scene um, but yeah I remember the Cloverfield one too um, that was everywhere but also it kind of had a hint of Godzilla 98 or 99 mm-hmm. which uh, that should be an honorable mention here the movie is not great but it has undeniably one of the best campaigns of all time of none of the trailers showed what Godzilla looked like, which is why I had a really decent opening weekend box office because everyone expected it to look like Godzilla, not an iguanodon. Um, but they, for that Godzilla movie, they would say his foot is as big as this billboard or his head is as big as this bus type of thing. Like they would describe what the thing looked like, but not show it in the trailers which is a genius tactic. Um, also, I don't think I have it here. I don't, but um, Godzilla 2014 also had a really good marketing campaign of yes. keeping Godzilla quiet. However, then that also kind of backfired on them when they killed off Brian Cranston because Brian Cranston was yes. such a heavy part of the marketing campaign. Yes. Uh, but yeah, Cloverfield, I remember that marketing campaign. That was everywhere. And I think that, that ultimately, because of that marketing campaign, led Cloverfield to being a franchise with some mm-hmm. really good highs with 10 Cloverfield Lane and some really, really low lows with the Cloverfield Paradox. And yeah. its fate is uncertain. I f- think I heard somewhere we're getting a fourth one, but I don't remember now. It's confusing. But yeah, yeah. that Cloverfield one, that, I remember the marketing for that well. And if you remember the marketing, that, that theoretically, that should be a good sign. Yeah, theoretically, uh, and and it was I think the big thing too was because it did ended up having a good like opening weekend, but then it definitely tapered off because people were in fact disappointed with it. Which but like at the end of the day, that's not the marketing campaign's fault. The marketing what marketing people were disappointed by a J.J. Abrams movie? Never heard of uh, that. Never heard of that. Um, okay, but like you, I don't want to talk crap about J.J. because like, I love J.J. But. Like, People get their expectations in the wrong spot for his movie sometimes. Yeah, because I, I, I literally Sabotage came on the radio the other day, it's and I so think I good. texted you afterward. And I was just, like, thinking about the whole scene for the Star Trek movie where they're like, we've got to jam their signals. Play something over the radio. Oh, yeah. There's a ride at Universal. You can pick your music, and I almost always pick Sabotage on it because, it, one, it fits well, but also I just love that song. Um, yeah, it's so cool. Sticking on the horror train, we'll stick on the horror found footage. We talked about it earlier, but we'll expound upon it here. Paranormal Activity. Mm-hmm. Now, Paranormal Activity did something kind of different than Blair Witch. Of we're in it, we were moving on. I think this was 2009-ish, so we were in a technology age. We hadn't fully gotten social media-ish yet. Um, I don't even know if Twitter was a thing yet. It probably was, um, but social media probably wasn't as infancy. wasn't as big as it is now. But they mm-hmm. relied on that. So what the thing was with the original paranormal activity was it was only open in a limited number of theaters and they would have these trailers showing people watching the movie and people being scared. And that makes you 
think it's going to be scary. You are very curious as to what they're watching on the screen. They would intercut footage from the movie and people's reactions in the trailer. And at the end, they would say, if you want to see this movie, demand your theater show it. And they would give you the information to say, either sign the petition or ask your theater to show this movie. It puts the action in the hands of the audience. They become more proactive in the success of the movie. That way it creates more of a community around the movie. I remember when Paranormal Activity came out, it felt like a big deal because people were like, oh, have you seen it? Have you seen it? And I hadn't, I only recently saw, as I said, but I remember the hype because it was almost this like, it almost felt like a really well-kept secret of like, wait, wait, you've seen it? You've seen it? How was it? What was was it like? Because everyone was so enamored with that trailer, but also the concept of, oh, they don't want us to see this movie, whoever they is. We've got to demand that people are showing it. I'm like, that is a genius marketing campaign. And... That was the best the franchise ever got, really. Yep. <laughs> I mean, it's in. I try to put my because I have a couple that are like really far back time wise, but like I try to put myself in the seat in the you know in the hands, the shoes of the the audience at the time. Like, found footage had kind of been done to death in certain ways, mm-hmm. but at that point, and so paranormal activity even outside of the marketing campaign, the movie itself, is trying to do something new and fresh with with that genre and kind of try to put it on its head a little bit. But, like, it's such a smart... I mean, while you and I are not big fans, I can imagine having my only, like, scary experience being, like, a uh, like a haunted house that you'd go to on the Halloween... At, at, you know, in Halloween season... And then going, but seeing this and being terrified because the fear of something maybe being there was so strong as opposed to there actually being something there. I don't know. Maybe I'm defending it for no reason, but it. I think, yeah, the, the marketing campaign is what got people to go see it. And like they put, oh, yeah. It puts everything in the audience's hands, which is something I don't think you could do th- these days. I don't think so. Um, like... I thought about putting Endgame, but it, it wasn't so much the marketing campaign. It was everyone needed to see this. They could literally just show a trailer of Tony Stark farting for a minute and people would still see it. Um, but, like, you're right. There is There was this call to action that I don't know could really be replicated today unless there was, like, a really, really viral trailer basically saying, the man doesn't want you to see this movie. Yeah. Um, another one that I've... Um, that I think, I'm not the biggest fan of the movie, but I remember seeing everywhere, but also like Blair Witch, part of the marketing was blurring the lines between what is real and what is for this movie, except Mm -hmm. it wasn't a horror, it was a comedy. Borat has one of the greatest marketing campaigns ever. The movie's not my cup of tea when it comes to comedy, but you can't deny that the marketing for this movie was just genius because for a while there, and still almost to the detriment of the poor guy's career, when you think Sasha Baron Cohen, you think Borat. He lived, he was like a wrestler. He lived and breathed the gimmick while Borat was coming out. For the months leading up to it, you just saw this dude and you're like, 
I don't know if this is a comedy or a documentary with a really bizarre Tommy Wiseau type host. And he mm-hmm. lived that. And still to this day, when people say Sasha Baron Cohen, they almost kind of assume that it's Borat, even though he's a criminally underrated actor. Like, he's phenomenal in Trial of Chicago 7. I think he's actually one of the better performances in Les Mis. I'm still kind of pissed he didn't play Freddie Mercury instead of Rami Malek, who was fine, but I think Freddie Mercury, um, I think Sasha Baron Cohen would have been an even better Freddie Mercury. But I just remember all the marketing for Borat was just, look how ridiculous and out there this movie is. And yes, yes, it is. Yes, it was. It is all that and more. But it made you kind of question. Is this a movie? Is this a Comedy Central sketch gone wrong? What is this? And that curiosity yeah. is really what fueled it more than anything else, which was so different but creative at the same time. Like, it may not be your cup of cup of tea to be as extreme as it was, but you got to give credit where credit's due of how creative and out of the box it was in terms of how we advertise this movie. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think doing out-of-the-box kind of things that whether or not like directly influences people to go see it, I think is also prevalent in all the stuff that... And I don't, I don't, I'm not going to use the word marketing because I don't know if it was on purpose from a marketing perspective or not. But all the stuff that led up to the release of Psycho. Yes! With, there it is. With, yep, I have yeah, that. With... Um, with Hitchcock basically being like, look, dude, nobody can get in the theater after it started. So we automatically creating lines. Auto- and he, like, literally not really telling anybody what the movie was about. Like, it just, it's, you couldn't get, a, you couldn't do, nobody would see it now uh, these days. But, like, he, like, instantly created lines. He instantly created buzz because, A, it's Hitchcock. B, uh, people are like, well, I can't, what do you mean I can't go s- Go in there, even though I'm like a minute late. Can we Sorry. enforce that rule now? No. I would love that rule if that was enforced now, because I, <laughs> not, there's, I don't have a greater pet peeve when it comes to go, movie theater going than people that show up late. Like, dude, you have 15 minutes of previews and you still are late. Like, I've been to movies where people show up like 30 minutes in the movie. I'm just going, what's wrong with you? Just see the next showing at this rate. But continue with your psycho. Well, no, yeah, it's and. It's easy to be like, man, that's super smart marketing. Like, that really instantly creates peak, uh, you know, peaks interest. But I don't think it was for the marketing. I think it's he, just to protect the the secret, the little secret that's halfway through the movie. Mm-hmm. You know, like, but like even then, that's super smart to to protect the this that plot to us so like so strongly. Because to be fair. I had I hadn't seen Psycho until I saw I it in say, high school I think I want to say I saw it maybe two or three years ago. Oh wow! Yeah, so like quote unquote fairly recently, but like even then I didn't know that the Psycho story that I know is only half the movie. I didn't know that there was a whole other half of the film after the iconic iconic scene. Yep. You know? So it's like, what? Even to this day, people are like weirdly like respecting Hitchcock's like desire to have mystery around the movie. (laughs) But that's the thing. It's like, 
the shower scene is iconic now, but like we kind of think of it maybe like being later in the movie because at the time Janet Lee was like the Scarlett Johansson of her day. She was a huge name. She would later go on to have a child that is the single greatest scream queen of all time in Jamie Lee Curtis. I still think that's a fantastic connection, but she was a huge star. And the fact that they like killed her intensely halfway through the movie, the audience I'm sure back then was shaken up going, Holy crap. And then throw on that, everything with Norman Bates. There's a lot to be spoiled with this movie. Um, I'm glad you brought up the not letting people in, because I had forgotten about that. When I was referring to mm-hmm. with the marketing was the unconventional trailer. So back then, trailers were not the art that they are today of um, overly scrutinized and everything else. The trailer for Psycho was actually just Alfred Hitchcock walking the grounds of the movie, of like the Bates Motel, having the uh, Bates house on the hill, and just kind of describing the movie without giving plot details. Of like, he'd point to the house and be like, this, this is where it happened, the tragedy or whatever else. And that, as a viewer, makes you curious going, well, what's he talking about? Like, I could describe to you a monster for a solid five to ten minutes, and whatever you put in your brain will be mm-hmm. 10 times scarier than whatever I could ever actually put to film. And he knew that, too. That's why you get so much of Psycho um, that is tell and not showing, because it builds up that scare. And so him just going through and be like, yep, this is where this horrendous thing happened. This is where this terrifying thing happened. It makes you just go, well, what's the terrifying thing? I need to see this. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, Hitchcock knew how to manipulate his audience perfectly, and I think Psycho is his magnum opus when it comes to that. I agree. And I, to an extent, I think that's what Paranormal Activity was trying to to do. Uh, a lot of tell and not show, but in some ways it doesn't it doesn't tell enough. Mm-hmm. It doesn't show enough. Um, it's really funny that we keep coming back to uh, found footage films because I want to talk about Chronicle Ooh, because okay. I, at least, and this is more of a personal one for me, from the trailers and stuff like that, I thought this was like a superhero origin film shot in a found fo- found footage form. It still kind of is. It still kind of is, but like... But it's like a super villain origin story. It is. It really is. But like the trailers, to me at least, never, never gave you that. And to be fair too, this movie still to this day is goes under the radar. It, nobody really talks about it that much unless you've seen it. And then you're like, Chronicle's great. We need to watch Chronicle. Um, but yeah, no, like it, it was like, it's to me, it's an appropriate case of mismarketing of like, Hey, like these guys get these powers and it's super cool, but there's might be something off. And then that's it. That's all you got from the trailers, which is exactly like what, you 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 need um because then when <laughs> when what what i forget his name dane dehan yeah when he goes full apex predator and you're like oh oh no oh no this is, this is turning into a, a an actual horror movie um like yeah absolutely chronicle to me is what brightburn wishes it could be yes because i i was so thoroughly disappointed with brightburn but chronicle is that of like theoretically a good kid with superpowers that lets the world basically get to him 
Um, yeah, I'm with you. I really liked Chronicle, and I like the marketing. I think the reason people don't talk about it today is the director has gone on to just be a train wreck. Um, yeah, fair. Fan Force Dick, um, all the off-screen stuff. Plus, it doesn't have the biggest names. Like, yeah, Dane DeHaan was in it, but he's not a huge name nowadays. Michael B. Jordan is a huge name, but people forget that he was in that movie, mm-hmm. even though he's great. Um, this really is really unfortunate that Dane DeHaan is not a is not a bigger name because he he to I, me he's a good he's a good actor. Yeah, I pin that more on the movie selection that he's chosen to be in. Um, I do think Amazing Spider-Man Two really hurt his career. Um, mm-hmm. Which he's in an unenviable situation of no one can come out of that character looking good. It's no. just how they did Goblin was bad. It was an unnecessary character. There's a lot of reasons, but also uh, he followed, not directly followed up, but a few years later he did a Cure for Wellness by Gore Verbinski, which also God. that's a, another bad choice to be in. Of like I, but it's he, he wasn't bad in it, but that's a bad yeah, choice as an actor to be he, in. He constantly is in these and like say what you will about the Green Goblin and and the Spider Man too, but. He does the best that he can with the. You can tell he does the best that he can with that role because it's obvious that they're not giving him much. Like, hi, yes, you're supposed to be this guy's, you know, complete nemesis, and we're only going to build it in one movie. And by the way, he's never mentioned you before, so uh, good luck. So it's, yeah. yeah, and Andrew Garfield was the same situation of he's trying his best with the material that he was given. Oh yeah. Um. So, Chronicle is one that's near and dear to your heart. One that's really near and dear to my heart that I don't think people talk about enough because the movie ended up just being fine. Even I don't particularly love it, but I remember so thoroughly being so amped for a property that I had never seen the original. Didn't even know this was a sequel, but as soon as I saw the first trailer and all the subsequent material, it's just like, dude, I need to see Tron Legacy. Because this looks <laughs> so cool. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's so out of left field, I know. But the movie was fine. But I, as a kid, had never even heard of the original Tron. So when I see Garrett Hedlund, which, just like Dane DeHaan, he's made some terrible choices of movies to be in. Yeah, good job with Pan. Um, but when I see him on his motorcycle, you're just like, okay, this is just a generic action movie. Then he gets sucked into this video game world. You're like, what is happening here? And the colors are so gorgeous. You hear some Daft Punk music. You're like, this is, this is pretty cool. Um, it was all over the place from a marketing perspective, not like incoherent, but like they draw on so many different aspects, like the visuals, the audio, like everything really came together in a really cool, neat package that really got me hyped up for a property that I had no understanding of what it even was, but just going, this has a cool factor to it. And then I saw the movie, and then once they leave the arena, yeah. it lost me as an audience member. Like, if we focused on the games part of it, that was really, really cool. And I'm still actually kind of mad that Disney hasn't released a 4K version of this because it looks cool in 1080, but like the colors and the contrast I think would work so much better in 4K. Movie ended up disappointing, but from a marketing standpoint, getting casual people didn't pay off mm-hmm. as much as I would have liked because I don't think it made a ton of money. 
but it hooked some people and it had a really solid campaign overall. I think that's yeah. the movie's fault, not the campaign's fault. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think at the end of the day, it was about getting people who had never seen nor heard of Tron excited for Tron. Um, little side tangent. Um, you mentioned Daft Punk. I, uh, the, in um, Borderlands pre-sequel, in the bar, there's a there's two people DJing the bar, and they have basically the Borderlands versions of the Daft Punk masks, <laughs> and they're called the Stupid Rebels. <laughs> I was like, yeah! I'm they call them, like, Punk Daft or something. It was so, dude, it's Borderlands. They do whatever they want. It's funny. Um, I do... I know you said you didn't, but I do want to talk about Endgame. Okay, that's um, fine. Oh, mainly because, right, the... The marketing itself is good, but like you said, they, it could have yeah. had. It was two basically of like it's a breakaway. It was a wide open receiver downfield. You just have to get the ball to him for the touchdown. Yes, That's, you just have to not screw it up, basically. Mm-hmm. But to me, that is the ultimate form of marketing, where you have had a decade of for, and for the most part, pretty solid movies, all building up in a storyline, culminating in one final moment, one final film. Like, there's no better marketing than that. Like, it's an, it's, an, it's you've created a, a movie event. Now, like, people have to have to go because not even, they don't even, I knew people that didn't even care about Marvel movies until Endgame was, an, was the trailer for Endgame was dropped and they were like, well, I guess all I'm going to do a whole marathon and then go watch it. And it was like, because they want to be a part of the event. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like, uh, yeah, oh, now that I think about it, like you're the right. Best, that, that's the best form of marketing is ha- having good movies. Yeah. I think, yeah, that now that I think about it, you're absolutely right of it made the movie feel like an event more than anything else of just, yes. this is a big deal. This will go down in history. It felt Endgame The marketing made it feel historic. Like, mm-hmm. hey, you guys better get your tickets for Thursday night when this thing opens or else you are a loser and your friends will all tell you about how great it is that next day at work while you just have to sit there like, mm-hmm. I don't know what you're talking about. Because I remember the day tickets went on sale, they had like some trailer that I watched and the end of the trailer said, tickets on sale now. I remember watching that as I was about, like, I was had my car parked in the parking lot about to go into work at my job at the time. I'm going, uh, okay, I'm not waiting. I don't care if I can get leave work early enough that day or not. It's endgame. I need to make sure I see it first yeah, showing. Yeah, you gotta get tickets. And yeah. so I, uh, for big movies, I'll see them with my parents and Heather and I. Um, that one, I don't know. I was just like, I need to get tickets. So I just got tickets for Heather and I. And then everything crashed on like regal amc everywhere else and so my dad in his infinite wisdom i already gotten the tickets um but he and to get tickets for him and my mom he actually physically went to regal and they're like oh yeah we still got plenty of stuff nobody's gotten stuff because wow. everyone's crashed so he he's still very much a well if not working on the computer i'll just physically go and ask and it was fine um, but yeah, Endgame's marketing made it feel like a big deal because it was mm-hmm. a big deal. No other movie had this much buildup, and we thought Endgame would be the end of it, but it seems like 
they're just basically not starting over, but like starting a new phase one type of situation. Mm-hmm. Um, you talked about it feeling like an event. There's a, I couldn't decide between these two movies because they're so similar in their excitement and marketing. So I just lumped them together with the force awakens and the phantom menace because mm-hmm. honestly, I think Phantom Menace had the better marketing campaign because that was everywhere. Um, here's a trip down memory lane. Uh, I don't know if you did, Josh, but did any of you at home have those awesome, like, they weren't snow globes, but like little tiny snow globe-ish toys from Taco Bell that were everywhere? Um, <laughs> it was so cool. They had all different planets. Like I had the Tatooine one that had Qui-Gon and Darth Maul fighting. It was so cool. Uh, but Phantom Menace stuff was everywhere and it got you so, so excited. Like I remember it came out the day I graduated from kindergarten and everyone was asking when we're getting ready for stuff, Are you seeing Star Wars tonight? Are you seeing Star Wars tonight? Cause it was just this buzz. Uh, but I more distinctly remember Force Awakens just cause I was older obviously Mm. and that was i think phantom menace even as a kid i could feel the energy because it had been so long but force awakens was okay are we allowed to hope again type of thing phantom menace people were just excited because it hadn't been star wars in like what 19 years so they were excited for any star wars whatsoever whereas force awakens you and i will still say the prequels are not that bad but a certain (laughs) generation hates the prequels so they kind of were more cautious going into force awakens but then like the kool-aid man the trailers just come bursting in chewy we're home actually no that was the second trailer the first trailer the first one bro the first one first one the first one has ray riding that godiva ice cream bar um and then shows bb8 i still think it looks like an ice cream bar uh shows bb8 and then the moment that lit up the internet Kylo Ren activating his tri-saber. No, Kylo Ren activating his tri-saber, and everyone's just going, are you allowed to do that? Are lightsabers yeah. allowed to look like swords? And then everyone having debate. I still think it's one of the better lightsabers. Um, and then it goes to black. And then the Millennium Falcon does a barrel roll that we've never seen before. You're just like, oh. Ah. Like, my dad doesn't really get emotional. He's pretty just... Um, pretty stoic when I show him trailers and stuff. That one, when the Millennium Falcon shows up, he just cracks this big old smile. Like, it's a return to the... It's like drinking chicken soup. It's just returning to what feels good in your gut. Here's the thing, too, is you know it's a good trailer when I can watch it now. Years after the movie. Oh, yeah. And years after Last Jedi and and Rise of Skywalker and still be like, Bro, I need to go watch Star Wars. Like, I just, it's not even like to watch the prequels or any or any of the movies specifically. But just like that, that gets me. That hits me right in the feel of like I have to watch Star Wars now. Like, and Force Awakens have... is still great. Come at me. It's so good. Oh, oh, absolutely. But like that burst of the score and the Millennium Falcon. Oh gosh, it's just so good. Or it's like so the second good. trailer when it's like, Chewie, we're home. Or yes. what was it? The final trailer that we get more of the we get the classic Princess Leia theme, uh, do do, and then it's like it's true, all of it, do do do, and you get Poe yeah. flying through oh. the explosion from a crash. Tie fighter just like, 
this is Star Wars. And I remember coming out of Force Awakens, as soon as the credits rolled, everyone just stands up and cheers and just like, it's back before we ruin it. But actually, my biggest memory from when I saw Force Awakens opening night um, was everyone's all cheering and celebrating. Some guy in the front row stands up, faces everyone in the crowd and goes, all right, we all liked it. Now let's not say anything until we get to our car so we don't spoil it for the people coming in. And I'm just going, that man is a hero. Bro, I have never seen the amount of, like, spoiler rage, like, for any movie ever, than this, than Force Awakens, like, specifically. That was a, I need to see this opening weekend thing. Yeah, but, like, even, like, the week after, people were like, bro, you can't. Just don't talk about it until you get to your car. Don't talk about it. You don't want to ruin it for people. And I was like, dude, like, wasn't like even Mark Hamill came out and was like, guys, like, don't, don't ruin this for other people. Like, this is going to be, it's going to be really cool. Like, ah, I just, and then to go back to those times, man, just Mm. to go back. But see, like, I think, and maybe I'm an optimist, but like, I still go back to Force Awakens and it's just, it's just, it honestly might be my favorite of, of like the Star Wars. All Star Wars or it might I mean if at the very least top three. I think it's it, just so good. It might be up there. I know it's probably top three for Heather. I still think Empire Strikes Back is my favorite. Mm-hmm. No, uh, no, not Empire. Uh A New Hope is my favorite. Then Empire. Then yeah, then maybe this? Yeah. And then it's Return a, of the Jedi. Yeah, this is really, really good. good. People crap on it way too much because they're just like, it's just a new hope. You do realize story elements are allowed to follow similar themes. It's like George Lucas himself said, it's like poetry. It's supposed to rhyme. It's cyclical. It's going to come back. I, I oh, miss and... the, the hype of stuff. I, I'm looking forward to movies coming back just so we can get hyped for stuff again. Yeah, just getting excited. Oh, um, you know, you know, Phantom Menace wasn't, basically a new hope but yeah whatever um and that's why it didn't get received as well that oh, and it doesn't yeah. have a protagonist what what do you mean anyway yeah, it's um, got five i got three more how many you got 18 i have two cool <laughs> I, don't, I don't know i said I, that way um i had to count <laughs> i got my last horror one that'll get out of the way all I need to say is, in space, no one can hear you scream. Because Aliens trailer is so good and so terrifying without showing a single thing. Um, it's a combination of, I think, the trailer's great, but the tagline, in space, no one can hear you scream. You immediately get that isolation, that terrifying... I'm all alone up here, but the egg in the center of the poster, which is still one of the best posters of all time going, what is that? Like it, I can clearly tell that it's an egg, but I do not trust said egg. Um, Even though everybody walks up to it every single time. Oh yeah. Let me stick my face right into this thing. I just, yeah, it's, it's, it's easily one of the best taglines in, uh, for one of the best sci-fi horror films of all time. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, 
that's all I got to say. Like I just like when people are like why why is the what what about the marketing really did it for you? I'm like it's just it's solid. It's like, a great it trailer before there were great trailers. Yeah, it doesn't give it a lot away. It doesn't gives you exactly what you need to be to want to go see the film. The tagline's great. Like yeah, egg is terrifying. Like you said, even though. Throughout the entire series, it's almost a running gag at some point, and it's because people like the whole audience is like knows what the egg is. But as soon as you put an egg on the screen, everybody in the audience goes, "He shouldn't, but he's gonna put his face over it." Or yeah, he's or there he goes. <laughs> I make fun of people for in Prometheus, just like, "Hey, there's a weird looking cobra looking thing with a butthole for a face. I'm a pet it yeah. like it's a snake." Dummy. Like, that's a great idea. Or the one that's like, really? Of, hey, I'm on this alien planet. I'm going to take my helmet off. It's, yeah, like, oh, I'm fine. Gosh. Like, come Whatever. on now. Alien right, has some so, of the stupidest protagonists. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, the running gag of uh, uh, the Prometheus school of running away from things is is a, is a thing for a reason. Yeah. Um. Uh, my last horror, 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 is uh, Invisible Man. Ooh, because okay. I know, I know you have certain feelings about the movie now that you've seen it, but I also know what your reaction to the trailers were. The trailers were like saw like that that final shot of like her like looking around panicked and seeing the breath that was go great. out behind exactly like the movie is. It's not for everyone, especially if you're expecting more of like a traditional, like invis- invisible man story. But, dude, is it, it, it? To me, it's a great, it's a good movie. But I the have, trailers got butts and seats, which is what it's supposed to do. I have a slight issue with. I think it was one of the trailers. Um, is they've relied so heavily on the marketing of that shot um, when she's in the attic and looking down at the steps leading up to it. And she throws the paint, and he's right there. Yes. That would have been a phenomenal scare to see in theaters. But as soon as you go to the attic, you're like, well, we know where this is going, because thankfully the trailers showed us. Like, I get kind of annoyed when trailers show us the best scares or the best jokes. I know that you have to do that, but at the same time, in a movie that really doesn't have a ton of jump scares, that was one of the better ones, and you blew it on a trailer. Um... I do appreciate though with Invisible Man, it freaked out a whole audience that wasn't even expecting to be freaked out. All those people that are like, "What's the what's the actual fear of like people that are afraid of holes or like holes mm-hmm. on people's skin?" So when he shows up with his special suit, I know there's a whole bunch of people that are even more triggered because it's like the suit is holes basically. So a yeah. whole bunch of people are like, ah, "I'm going." It's a weird fear, but I'm afraid of snakes, so I'm not gonna judge you. <laughs> yeah it's it's to me it's it was a solid the point of a trailer is to get butts and seats and that's what it did so mm-hmm. fair i'm gonna, I'm gonna let, it, let it have it um my last two are both superhero movies um my last one is a superhero movie i think we have the same superhero movie for our last one so i'll save that one because it's the best ever yep. Um, but a movie that we have not talked about in quite a long time even though it is one of my top two or three favorite slash best movies I've ever seen is The Dark Knight. The marketing for The Dark Knight was everywhere. That first trailer where you hear Joker's voiceover 
and then you see his face for the first time of what Heath Ledger's Joker was. All the internet haters that were just like, really? We're getting the guy from A Knight's Tale as Joker? We're, just went, oh. Yeah. Oh, my. But I remember seeing all the posters for, um, like, um, Harvey Dent with the I Believe in Harvey Dent button covering up half his face. And then Batman mm-hmm. with the battering covering half his face. And Joker, mm-hmm. um, what was, something was covering half his face. I think it's just a shadow. Maybe. Uh, but, like, a whole bunch of... They relied very heavily on Joker in the marketing campaign, but I like it when movies can integrate other elements. Like our, I'm, I th- think we're on the same page with our last movie is that kind of marketed bombed other movies. Um, and I kind of got that impression with Dark Knight of just like it was everywhere, and they incorporated so many different elements. It wasn't just trailers and posters. It was like I believe in Harvey Dent banners or subsequent material like i feel like there's like we talked about with the paranormal activity there are certain parts of the marketing that were audience dependent of like if you guys do this you unlock an image or you can unlock the trailer type of thing and putting that power in people's hands can be really really creative i just remember seeing so much promo material for dark knight like they went all in with it and clearly it paid off uh because it made over a billion dollars that truck flip in the trailer excellent done excellent and well done um yeah i don't think there's anything about the dark knight that i would change from a marketing perspective unfortunately i feel like part of it is probably due to the unfortunate passing of heath ledger everyone had that buzz of we need to see this his final performance even though his actual final performance was in the strange mind of dr parnarsis but no one ever talks about that movie it, Dark Knight just had a masterful marketing campaign. And even though you don't like it, I think Dark Knight Rises also had a really solid campaign of it was everywhere. Yeah, it's... <sighs> the marketing campaign of Rises got me it got my button seat, got me to watch it. Um, oh yeah, I saw it like mean... four or five times in theaters. <laughs> yeah, I saw it twice just to make, just to confirm my feelings. Mm. Um, and yeah... Now, yeah. are we on the same page with our last one? I think we are. Uh, like it's, it's a former Green Lantern, isn't it? Yeah, it is. The Green yeah, Lantern movie has some of the best marketing campaigns. No! <laughs> <laughs> no! And I'm oh, still no. going to say what I said about the original Green Lantern. In Brightest Day and Blackest Night, this film was certainly not all right. <laughs> <laughs> but we get, like when you talk about good marketing campaigns, you absolutely have to talk about Deadpool. Yep. <laughs> yep of <laughs> like whether they got permission or not deadpool basically hopped on other movies backs like yoda and we're just like you're my movie now because deadpool was everywhere but deadpool as a character at least he makes sense it's not like shoehorned in i yeah. remember um it kind of had the same but not as big of like a Snyder cut thing. Uh, fans were demanding this after someone most likely Ryan Reynolds uh, leaked that test footage of the Deadpool action scene that was never filmed. Test footage, big air quotes. Yeah. Okay. Test footage. Well, it Whatever was, it was say. CG. It wasn't actual film stuff, but they're just like, this, if we made a Deadpool movie, this is what it would look like. No one ever yeah. fessed up to who leaked it, but it, it seems very, very likely that Ryan Reynolds himself was the one that leaked it. But that made people just go, yes, we would very much like to see that. 
And so once they finally did make it, um, it was everywhere. I remember seeing the poster for it showed um, Ryan Reynolds and Morena Baccarin and this Valentine's Day. Like they made it look like it's just your stereotypical rom-com. And I bet you anything that that suckered in a couple couples to see that that movie just going yeah it's gonna be a romantic comedy and then international women's day happens and you're like this is a very different movie than what i was expecting (laughs) um but then i remember i don't know if you remember this but when around the time deadpool was coming out a whole bunch of movies at like walmart or target got new sleeves with deadpool on them so like yes if you have if you wanted to get gremlins you would have gremlins but with deadpool on the cover or top gun would have deadpool with like tom cruise's jacket or something like that like they went all in and it wasn't just trailers or posters it was we're gonna make sure you know everywhere you look deadpool will be coming out sometime soon and it's going to be balls to the wall nuts it is and, and it was and like even like the marketing for the second one kind of did the same thing where like I vividly remember pictures like big huge billboards of Deadpool just like laying like one of the French girls like mm-hmm. just like it was like okay cool like he like you said they just put him everywhere and you could not avoid it at all it was like guys yo this movie's happening finally because you asked for it and we made it happen. So now go see it because we need you to. Also, I think it helps that a lot of times actors, and I don't blame that all for the for this. Of uh, they clearly get tired of marketing. They have to sit and hear the same questions over and over and over mm-hmm. for weeks on end. Having an actor be so active in the marketing campaign, I feel like Ryan Reynolds specifically was involved with a lot of this marketing to make it work really really helps when your actor has this much enthusiasm and passion for a character and just like no no this is gonna happen because i'll make sure that it happens i'll i'll go to bat for you marketing people because i'm ryan reynolds i just care about this character so much that we're gonna make this happen and that really is a big step that you don't see a lot of actors take like I think deadpool is fine it's not really my cup of tea I, i still enjoy it but it's not my favorite superhero movie but i there's no denying you will never get a better Deadpool than Ryan Reynolds because of his passion for the character, but just he was willing to go for it all the way. Yeah. He just is the character. It's and like something that I wasn't even aware of before with the uh, weird relationship between Ryan Reynolds and Hugh Jackman. I didn't know that was a thing until now yeah. all of the marketing. Like it's yeah, it's great. Good times. Well, Good times. Well, what do you guys think are some of the best marketing campaigns? What are some either like trailers or things that movies did that made you just go, well, now I have to see this movie. That was amazing. Let us know in the comments below. We always like hearing from you guys. And as always, if you like what you hear and you want to hear more, subscribe to us on whatever platform you're listening to us on, whether it's iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or YouTube. And if you haven't already, subscribe to us on YouTube at Uncharted Media. And as always, stay sharp, movie guys and gals.